Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is produced on Gadigal land. I heard someone the other day say that it's eat or heat. So during winter, they either choose to put the uh, heating on or they choose to have a meal. So this is what's happening to people right around Australia at the moment. And I think it's something we should all be concerned about because in a country as wealthy as ours, I don't think people understand how much poverty there actually is in Australia. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. G'day listeners, welcome to Short Black. I'm thrilled today to welcome Yolanda Sayers, who is the CEO of Vinnie's, our favourite St Vincent de Paul Society in New South Wales. Welcome Yolanda, great to have you here. Thanks Sandra, it's great to be here. Now, we're all surviving the cost of living crisis, but I want to know about the front line and how tough is it for people out there? What are you seeing? It's really tough for people. What we know, the cost of living crisis is affecting everyone, so everyone's feeling it in one way or another. But certainly people who are already vulnerable, they're the ones that are hardest hit always by these types of crisis. They don't have any fat in the budget or things to stop buying in order to make budget. They're really living, you know, pay packet to pay packet as it is. So the cost of living crisis is really impacting them very acutely. They're having to make really tough decisions around the dinner table. Do I pay a bill? Do I eat? Do I keep up with my rent? I mean, I heard someone the other day say that it's eat or heat. Wow. So during winter, they either choose to put the heating on or they choose to have a meal. So this is what's happening to people right around Australia at the moment. And I think it's something we should all be concerned about because in a country as wealthy as ours, I don't think people understand how much poverty there actually is in Australia. The great thing about Vinnie's is the trusted brand status. You know when Vinnie's is around, what you do is authentic, there's integrity to the brand. Last year, you helped about 87,000 people, but you're seeing an 18% increase in demand. That says it all, doesn't it? It really does. And so, yeah, Vinnie's has been around since the 1800s in France, but been in Australia for over 150 years. Very well-known brand. We're very authentic to what we do, and what we do is help people without judgment in a time of crisis, and that's what our members do, our volunteers around the state every day, and that's what our frontline services do. But, yeah, look, an 18% increase year on year, and this financial, you've already seen a 22% increase in demand. So we know it's getting worse, not better, and people are turning to charity for the first time. So one in three people are turning to us for the first time. Yeah, 30% of people coming in for the first time. Those numbers are extraordinary. They really are. We've not seen numbers like that before. And we're seeing people we've never seen before, people on dual incomes, people who are working during the day, then coming to Vinnie's on the weekend or whenever they can to get help with food vouchers or help to pay a bill. Some people are living in their cars and, and going to work every day and people around them don't know this is happening. 
We've got young men in full-time employment coming into our homeless services for a shower, for a meal, because they just don't have enough to cover all of their cost of living. It breaks your heart to think that it's at such crisis levels, and yet you're seeing it every day. When I look back at uh, the end of last year and you have your annual Christmas appeal for Vinnie's, you decided to launch it with a specific event. How did that come about? Well, this wonderful dynamite of a person called Phil Hart approached us about wanting to do some fundraising for us. And he took us on a journey. Uh, We hadn't done a launch like that for our Christmas appeal before, but it was a wonderful event. And what was really wonderful about it was that we invited the homeless community to share a meal on that day. And for many of those people, that would be the first time in a long time that they've actually been served a meal for Christmas, that they've been able to sit and enjoy a meal with friends and others. This was in Martin Place, wasn't it? It was right smack bang in the middle of Martin Place. It um, was great for the brand because it you know, put eyes on us and it gave us an opportunity to tell corporates who are there to support us what we do, you know, how critical and how acute the problem is right now. As well as, as I said, for me, the best part of the day was having the homeless community with us and being able to serve them, which is what we do at Vidings. We serve people every day, and so to be able to serve them a meal in some dignity was, for me, the most touching thing of the day. And then you finished it off with a concert in the heart of the city, and you had some big-name entertainers. Again, that's just not inviting the homeless to a seat at the table, but it's providing them with entertainment and making them feel genuine members of the community. That's right, because they don't often get an opportunity to be part of other things like concerts. One of the men that attended told us last year that he hadn't attended a concert for over 25 years because he hadn't been able to afford it. So we had Tanya Doko there from Bachelor Girl. She was wonderful. She's a great ambassador for our brand. She did a great show amongst a a number of other artists who gave of their time. And by the end of the night, almost half of the people who had joined us from the homeless community were up there dancing along with our corporate guests. And it's just wonderful to see. It opens the eyes of the corporates, but it also tells our people who who live in the homeless community, that people are thinking about them and that they matter because often they feel invisible. They tell us that and we try to at least make them feel part of community. Out of sight, out of mind, sadly. Look, for me, uh, you know, I've lived in the city of Sydney, in the heart of Sydney CBD for over six years, and so I'm very familiar with the homeless community. You're right, most people go about their day focusing on what they need to do and, and if they don't see them, they don't think about them. Well, that's right. Like I said, I actually don't think Australians quite genuinely understand how much poverty there is in Australia. Over 3 million people in Australia live under the poverty line. I think people find that shocking when they hear it because I think they think it's isolated or it's not as bad as it is in other countries. But there are people in, you know, in our Indigenous community across the country living in acute poverty. So I think people just need to stop. And if you do have a little bit extra or you are comfortable and you know, to just make time to stop and reflect and think about others who are doing it really tough every day of the year. Not only those who are living in homelessness, but people just living in poverty, having to make really difficult decisions every day that most of us don't think about. When we look at the homelessness stats, Yolanda, there are over 122,000 people experiencing homelessness on any given night, yet only 6% of these people actually sleep on the streets. Where's everyone else? Yeah, so look, rough sleeping is a small proportion of the homeless picture in Australia. We have primary, secondary and tertiary homelessness. Many people are sleeping in the cars, sleeping in people's garages, on people's couches, perhaps in tents, um, and many aren't counted, to be quite frankly, in those rough sleeper numbers as well. So we know that it's that unsafe, insecure housing that contributes to homelessness. So if you don't have a safe place that is your home, 
you're experiencing homelessness. And if you're having to rely on someone's couch, that doesn't last forever. So these people are insecure, unsafe housing, and so that makes them homeless. And so we have to deal with people because eventually those avenues run out for them and they'll turn to us for help to try and find housing, to try and find accommodation that is safer and more secure. And I read that over 17,500 children younger than 12 are in fact homeless. That's right, which is really shocking. I have a 14-year-old and I can't imagine what that would be like. And most of those children, Sandra, will be with their mums who are escaping domestic and family violence. There'll be others who um, are homeless on their own, which is even more frightening. But the majority are forced into homelessness because their mums are escaping domestic and family violence. And as we know, epidemic in Australia at the moment, women being killed every week in this country by their um, partners. Absolutely. We need more avenues for women to find safety and security. And when you're with children, it becomes more complicated because the number of services that you can turn to are, are limited. And so it really is an issue we need to be talking about more seriously. I guess if we look at the demographics in terms of who presents themselves to Vinnie's, has that changed in your time there? I think people have in their mind the image of an older man on the street living rough. But in fact, most people who turn to us experiencing homelessness are in their 30s. So really at the prime of their life where you'd expect them to be living their life, working, doing all those great things, building family. Certainly we're seeing a change in regards to uh, people on dual incomes turning to us, so that's new. But really the demographic has always been quite diverse in regards to the number of people we're seeing. We see a large proportion of people from Indigenous community come to us for help and that is obviously a reflection of the acute disadvantage and disproportional disadvantage First Nations people experience in this country. Obviously Vinny's advocated very strongly for the voice. We believed it was a matter of social justice. People might have criticised us for being political. We don't see it as a political issue. We see it as a matter, a human issue, an issue of human dignity. And so that's why we advocated for it, because we think we need to do something different. We need to empower First Nations communities to help themselves in the way that they believe is most appropriate. Did you get much pushback for taking that stance? We did. We got pushback from donors and we got pushback from others. But we stood strong in our advocacy. The Same Visitor Poor Society has always been an advocate since its initial stages back in the 1840s in, in post-revolution France. So we have always advocated for the structural issues that are keeping people impoverished, for the structural issues that are keeping women in homes where they're not safe, and for the structural issues that are keeping people sleeping on the streets or in insecure housing. And we'll continue to do that, and we'll probably do it unapologetically, because you've got to change the foundational structures that people keep people stuck in these systems. We did get some pushback, but we also got lots of wonderful support and lots of wonderful messages telling us that that was the right thing to be doing. It is risky when you take a political stand, and I'm really, you know, emphasised here at Short Black, we are very non-partisan. We certainly don't get involved in the politics of scenarios. But at the moment, given the cost of living crisis, the issue of social housing is ever-present, regardless of which political party you might support. Just under 60,000 applicants. That's how long the list is at the moment for social housing. So regardless of your politics, it's a fact. It's a, at a crisis level Australia-wide. We're having this chat on Gadigal land. We're in New South Wales. I did note that there is a Minister for Homelessness in New South Wales. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. That really says it all about the crisis we're currently in, doesn't it? 
Well, it says it all about the crisis, but I also do think it says a lot about the intent of the current New South Wales government. I think they see this as the issue of our times, housing and, and homelessness, housing in particular. So they are putting all the right focus on the issue. It's complex, and I do think they have a plan over the next couple of budgets to try and address that more readily. Uh, we've had really positive conversations with, the minister, with Minister Jackson about how do we become part of the solution I think organisations like Guineas need to be propositional. We can stand on the sidelines and tell everyone how bad the issue is, but we also need to have skin in the game. We need to say, well, look, we've already built, for example, 502 social housing properties, um, Guineas New South Wales has, and they're managed by our national housing company. And we want to build more social housing. We want to do that in partnership with government and in partnership with corporates. And the new face of homelessness Australia-wide is, of course, older women. You're seeing that yourself? Absolutely. We know that over the last 10 years, the fastest growing cohort of women of people experiencing homelessness are women over 55. There's a whole lot of reasons for that, superannuation being one of them. Women away from the workforce, they don't have enough super to rely on. They might have worked all their lives and then they, they get to that age and they don't have enough super to sustain themselves. Or they might have been in a long-term domestic violence situation and when the kids have grown up, they've left. And really sadly, a lot of the family violence is from children to parents. Children to parents? That's right. Elderly parents suffering abuse at the hands of their children, losing their homes at the hands of their children, oh. and then ending up at Vinnie's because they've got nowhere to go and they've been, they've been pushed out of their own home. It breaks my heart. That's just the sad reality. I mean, it's kind of heartbreaking, but that's happening every day. And so we're trying to find new places for women over 55 to be able to land safely. We have a a new service opening up a, um, a little bit later this year in February where we'll be o opening a service for women over 55 years. We've just re refurbished it and they'll each have an individual kitchenette, bathroom, so it gives them a lot of dignity. They'll have their own space and hopefully rebuild them to get back on their own two feet. You mentioned corporates before. How involved? Or have you seen corporates step up in Australia? We've got really great corporate support and there's always more everybody can do. We invite corporates, you know, to come along on the journey and see what they can do to make a difference. But, yeah, look, we've got wonderful corporate support from ongoing corporates like IGA and Greyvox and Abigeldi and a whole bunch of others who are wonderful supporters. J&J have been with us for 30 years. They're one of our longest standing supporters. And they contribute financially, but they also contribute time to help the organisation. They volunteer at our services. And it makes a wonderful difference. And we couldn't do the work we do without the support of individuals and corporates and, of course, government. We see here at Paramount where the network want to be involved in charitable endeavours. It's driven by the staff. And I see that across the board in a lot of industries where the corporate won't impose the charitable partnership. It has to be driven by staff. Are you seeing a lot more of that? Yeah, we see that in most corporates. They do involve their staff in, in picking, I guess, causes that they care about. And we also see the other way where a corporate organisation has homelessness, for example, is one of its core areas that it wants to connect with, so they'll come to us. So it works both ways. But look, people want to work for organisations that care about people. I think it's becoming more and more evident. They also want to work for organisations that care about the environment, for example. So there's more expectation from employees on what sort of organisation are you, what do you stand for, and what's your social credentials. And I think that matters to people. This podcast is all about celebrating extraordinary women, ordinary women doing extraordinary things. That's you, Yolanda. You were the first female appointed in this significant managerial ELT role within the industry. 
How important was that for you and what do you think it says in terms of the charity and how it reaches out? Do you think, you know, for example, you're a journal by trade, you started in comms. Has that helped you be a woman trying to reach out and connect and encourage more people to be involved? Look, I think, yes, I'm the first female CEO for Vinnie's New South Wales, which is wonderful. And actually, Vinnie's across Australia, the majority of CEOs are female, which I think is a wonderful testament. And in fact, Vinnie's has a long history of females being part of its DNA back in the day and its origins, actually. I think that's really fabulous. And I think females bring a different voice to leadership. It's not necessarily a better voice. It's just a different voice, a different perspective. And yeah, look, my background as a communicator, I think I am a strong believer in the power of language and the power of narrative. And I think language is one of the most powerful things. They can be very hurtful words. They can be very uplifting. So I think narrative and the way we speak about ourselves and the stories we tell about ourselves are really powerful. So I think it has helped in being able to communicate the why of what the society or Vinnie's does and make that clear to our corporate partners, to our other supporters, to government. You know, we're here, we have an internal mission. Of course, we have a mission about why we are here as an organisation. But as I always say to our staff, you know, our mission is out there. It's out there, it's out the window, and we're more relevant than ever and unfortunately more needed than ever. What every average Aussie knows is the Vinnie stores. How important is that to the organisation? Because I see it as really the enabler. It funds the business of Vinnie's. Would that be a fair statement? That's a very accurate statement. The stores are tremendously important to us as an organisation in a few ways. They've been around for 100 years in New South Wales, so been around for a long time, and we were, we were recyclers and reusers long before it became trendy or when I was talking about circular fashion, we were already doing it. We have a large number of stores across New South Wales, and all of the surplus from those shops goes straight back into helping us run our services helping the work of our volunteer members and community that they do every single day. So those funds are critical, critical for us to do the work we do. Also, from our shops, we still give away many, many clothing and other items to people in need who can't afford to pay for those items. They also have a, a, a big component of helping people in community doing it tough. What do you need most of right now and how can people help? Look, the reality is right now, with 22% increase this financial year, what we need is people to, who can to donate. I mean, that is really the best way to help us because we can then use those funds to go exactly where they need to go. Also, people's time. We need volunteers in our shops, in our services. So people can volunteer. That is incredibly important to us. And people can also become members of the organisation if that's what they want to do. And that means they're directly helping people in community every day. What do you do as a member then? You're part of a, a group of people, what we, what we call a conference, and you go out and visit people in their homes. You meet together, you talk about who are the people we're helping this week, who's come to us for help. You go out, you sit with them, often you're a shoulder to cry on, and then you do an assessment and, and understand what do they need. Is it help with food? Is it bills? Is it other things? You might refer them on to some of our professional services because there might be domestic or family violence that you're observing in the home. So you play a really important role. Sometimes you go into people's homes to do that. Other times people will come and visit you in one of our centres. So it's a very, very direct way of helping people. So tell me, if I sign up, do I get some sort of training? Because obviously you can't let me loose without knowing I'm all right. Yeah, so you go through all the normal checks. So, you know, obviously we need to be safe and we'll get, people will go through all the normal checks that you'd, you'd um, hope for in an organisation like ours. 
And then you'll be joining a conference and there you'll be guided by people. And some of our members have been doing this, Sandra, for 50 years, three times a week for 50 years, giving of their time because they just believe in making a difference in people's lives. I get so taken aback at how generous people really can be. Do you find people more generous in certain parts of Australia? Is it regional towns, coastal towns, big cities? Where's the generosity stemming from? We've got members all over the country. So in New South Wales, we've got members in 420 communities. So I think it's everywhere. People want to help other people. I think people innately want to do that. It's changing that face of volunteering and the time that people have available is obviously different to what it was 30 or 40 years ago. Mums are working now, you know, before perhaps they weren't. People have less time, but we still see young people putting up their hand to volunteer. They're out on our vans, for example. They're doing the brekkie van and feeding breakfast, you know, to, to men and women who are homeless. So people are still very generous with their time. But of course, more people have to work as well now or have two jobs even to make ends meet. So time is is less available. But um, we just encourage people, if they're interested in volunteering for us or learning more about membership, they can reach out to us. Donations have slowed in the last year. You've mentioned this before, mostly due to the rising cost of living, but it's a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? You need the donations to support those who are struggling with everything going up. The people who are donating are in need themselves. What's the solution? Yeah, look, that's right. What we tend to find, most Australians who are donating to charities give to five or six charities. And what happens in the time of cost of living, they start to cut charities out. So perhaps if you're not the number one charity, you will lose that donation. So we're certainly seeing that. So what we're saying is, look, if you can, so if you're, if you're comfortable, if you're privileged enough and lucky enough to not have to worry about where your next meal is coming from or paying your mortgage, we just ask you to think about others who are doing it tough and actually um, make some time to donate. It could be one restaurant dinner a week that you might take with friends, which is great, and people should still do that, of course. But think about it that way. You know, if I didn't go to dinner this week, I could make that donation to Vinnie's and actually feed four or five families. For corporates, same thing. You know, if corporates are able to, through their budgets, able to consider making a donation to organisations that are helping Australians, and actually many of their own people may be struggling and they don't know it. Yeah, there's a big dignity question here, isn't it? That, that thread through it all where people won't actually ask for help, but they'll go to somewhere like Vinnie's and seek that support. You provide a range of services across the board. It's just not food and shelter and domestic violence, etc. Just lay it out for me. Yeah, so we're a really large organisation and we um, are actually, in fact, one of the largest providers of homeless services and of domestic and family violence services in New South Wales. So we run a number of um, shelters, a number of refuges. We run learning centres where people can come and learn skills. They can get their white cards so they can go out and get some work. Uh, cooking classes, art studio, music studio. So all of that is about connecting with people. We run disability services, drug and alcohol rehabilitation services. And of course, like I mentioned earlier, the, the network of members helping people every day. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To stay relevant, you've also got to stay innovative. And what I've loved is how you've upped the ante and found new and engaging ways to seek support. You've had your first art auction, art for goodness sake. How did that go? Yeah, that went well. Um, you know, that was a really good idea that came out of our commercial team. They collected artworks from all the large corporates who we know have these wonderful art collections. They donated pieces and then we worked with a, a wonderful gallery in the eastern suburbs who curated it for us. We ran an online auction. We sold all the pieces. And so what we want to do next year is just build on that and make it bigger and better. Another big endeavour, which is one critical acclaim, really, is the CEO sleep out. That happens every year. How much does something like that raise for the organisation? Look, it's an incredible event. It was gifted to us by a wonderful man named Bernie Fion, who was doing a sleep out at his daughter's school. We thought, oh, you know, I wonder whether corporates might be able to do this. And he tried to run it on his own for a couple of years, did pretty well, but then came to Vinny's and said, look, you know, won't you take the event, invest in it, and I think it's got legs. And so that was 18 years ago. And in those 18 years, it's raised close to $90 million nationally. Wow. So that's been really critical to us because that is all those funds go straight back into our homeless services and our work of our members. And without the, that funding, we'd have to be making decisions about what services we keep running. So it's a fantastic event. Looking forward to the 19th. It's an event that really connects with people because they get to hear from people who are homeless or have been. And you could hear a pin drop in that room of three or 400 people when those stories are told. And I think it opens people's eyes because they see all types of people, not just whatever stereotype they had in their mind before they walked in the room. And look, we know it's not an experience of homelessness. It is a symbol, symbolism. They spend a night out slightly uncomfortable in the cold. We hope that whilst they're doing that, they hear the stories of those people in their heads. One of the great stories, Sandra, that occurred after was one of the CEOs rang us and said, you know, I'd heard all the stories, I was a bit uncomfortable, I went to go home and I was in my trackies and I had my sleeping bag and not one cab would stop for me. And he said, then I felt a little bit invisible and I realised that people feel that every day, all day. So that was really powerful for him and we hear stories like that all the time. And they do go back to their workplaces and talk to their staff and they advocate and they don't just stop there. And so whilst it's just a symbol and we get that, it's not meant to be, you know, people who are always comfortable experiencing homelessness. That's not what it is. They're there to raise funds to help people who are, and we just make them a bit uncomfortable for the night, but hope that the stories they hear stay with them. One of the other things you've done is you've set up depots for return and earn. How does that work? Yeah, so this is great. It's a business we started four years ago. Obviously, it's a New South Wales government program for the container deposit scheme, so return and earn for the bottles that you return and you get some money back for those. So we run nine large automated depots right now. So people can take large volumes of these bottles. We put them through the machines. They get their money for the items, that the bottles they've returned, and we get a handling fee from the government for each bottle that we put through our scheme. And that's raised a lot of money for us over the last four years. That goes, again, straight back into our services. So what we're doing is diversifying income, looking for new business ideas that are kind of aligned with who we are as an organisation. And given that we're reusers, we thought this was a good alignment 
And it's just another way of raising funds to meet demand. Well, that's what I love about what you do. There's always a new angle. You're looking at other ways to cut through in the community and be in our face, but do it ever so subtly. So I did notice in the city recently, you've got these coffee buses that you've rolled out. Now, that's a new thing. Yeah, that's very new. So wonderful uh, Pace Foundation, who are wonderful supporters of ours, gave us this wonderful food truck, which looks fabulous. We've had it kitted out with some signage around Vinny's Cafe. It's brand new. We trialled it late last year at the event in Martin Place, and now we're trying to build a bit of a model. How's this going to work for us? And we hope to have a mobile food truck or coffee van that will go to events and other festivals, raise the profile, and, and then raise some funds for us as well. And so we hope to build a bit of a model that makes sense, you know, that makes it's viable, and then hopefully grow that model as well. And lots of people want to contribute to charities. But the cynics amongst us would say too much is wasted on administration. Have you got the numbers to justify that you're a lean and mean machine? Yes, we are. So well over 80% of the funds that come into us go back into service provision. The majority of the funds that we have go on frontline front services and our members and the work of our members. Our members gave out $13.7 million worth of assistance last year. It's going to be a lot higher this year. And that's year. just New South Wales? Just New South Wales. So have you got a national number? I don't have the national number, but you can imagine that Queensland and Victoria would be providing similar amounts and then some of the smaller states a bit less, but it would be well over 50 or $60 million nationally if you, if you take those numbers into account. That is all funded through our shops and, and, and other business ideas, as I said, but we're pretty lean. You know, obviously, look, the reality is to run a homeless service, you need staff, you need to be accredited, you need to have safety, you need to have clinical governance. Like it's complicated. You need to adhere to all of, as you would expect, to all of the standards so that you're providing safe care for people and you're not doing more damage than helping them. So it, it costs money to run an organisation as large as ours, making the difference we do. But what we do is make sure that the vast majority, like I said, over 80%, is spent on providing care to people in community or community programs. Well, as you say, the shops are everywhere. How many are there Australia-wide now? About 600. That makes you one of the biggest retailers in the country. That's right. It does, actually. Wow. So if I wanted to donate, what do you need right now? I have to say, I remember when COVID hit, shops like Vinnie's were overwhelmed with people dumping stuff. For those that are considering making a donation to a Vinnie's store, what to not drop off? Sure, Sandra. So firstly, super grateful for all the wonderful donations we get at our shops because we do get fabulous donations and people give us good quality items, which is why we're able to operate our shops. But it does happen that people give us items that we can't resell and that causes an issue for us because we then have to pay for the landfill for those items. So we often say if it's good enough to give to a mate, it's good enough to donate. So I think if it's in good condition, if you would give it to a mate to wear, then you can donate it to Vinnie's. If it's got holes or it's torn, we're not going to be able to sell it on the shop floor. And really, we're just going to have to pay ourselves for it to go to landfill. And that's money we're taking out of our programs. And it's a simple thing, but you'd ask people to at least make sure everything's laundered. Yeah, and, and we don't have the facilities all the time to launder items. So that's really important. So just give some thought. And what we do know, when people donate, directly into the shop. The items are much better than when they leave it out the front. So we also encourage people not to leave items outside the shops because one, they get damaged. Unfortunately, they also get sorted through and people take things out of the donations and they might get rained on, etc., etc. So drop it into the shop. Just have a bit of a think about whether it's good enough to be resold. And we're very grateful for anything we get that can be resold. 
What if someone just wanted to make a financial donation? What's the easiest way? Easiest way is our donation line, 131812, or they can just go to vinnies.org.au and they'll see the big yellow donate button and they can click on that and it's really simple. Do you have any goals in terms of fundraising for 2024? We just want to fundraise, I guess, to keep up with demand. So, you know, we, we've got a target for our fundraising program for 2024, obviously. We'd like to increase that by about 10 or 15%, so we're keeping up with demand. But really, as much as we can raise, because we can also do more. Uh, we have more, we can do more. And so we've got a new strategy in New South Wales that's fairly ambitious around place-based models going out into communities, working with different types of communities that we're not actually reaching right now. Often people in most isolated communities have the greatest need but don't have services. So we want to go out into community, work in partnership with other groups as well, like Indigenous groups, and empower them if we can or help them to serve their own community and also going into communities where we're not very present, where we should be. When it comes to the migrant community and the Indigenous communities, what are the roadblocks in terms of getting what you need there through we're already working with those communities in many, many places and we provide assistance to, to anybody that turns to us for help. But I think it's really important when you're wanting to work with First Nations communities that you actually look like the community you're trying to help. And so for us, engaging with First Nations groups who are already doing wonderful work in their communities and not just um, wanting to do the same thing they're doing in their community, but actually trying to work in partnerships. So we are culturally sensitive we understand how the community wants to be helped. That's really important to us and something that we will really focus on in our strategy. With migrant communities, it's the same thing. It's about, it's sometimes it's about language barrier. So we need to be talking to those communities, uh, you know, in, in their own language, making sure they know we're there and how they can access help. How do you as a CEO stay on top of innovation and best practice? Are you looking internationally at what others are doing? We're always looking at the sector, so what are others doing, what's working well, what's been tested. Certainly for some programs, looking overseas to see what others are doing, particularly around fundraising, because the UK and Canada are a few steps ahead of Australia in regards to fundraising. How so? Just that they've got more idea, they've got more investment in fundraising. It's, it's a much bigger part of their organisations. And people might see fundraising as an overhead, but it's not really. It's, it's really an enabler again. So we're always looking, you know, our homeless services are always looking at what's best practice, what's working overseas, the housing first model, you know, that we've seen such success in the Nordic countries, looking at those principles here. So we're always looking to learn. What's the difference between that housing first model in Nordic countries as opposed to what we're doing here? It's just really about having people housed before you address their other primary issues. So they might have mental health or drug addiction. Having them housed first actually makes it easier to deal with those other issues because it gives them a sense of stability. We are doing some things like that already, and the New South Wales government did that during COVID. So it's just building on those learnings. Obviously, we're looking at things like AI and how does AI help us. So we're just getting on that journey now, but it's pretty exciting. But we always have to look outside the window to see what others are doing. Where can we learn and you know not reinvent the wheel? And if another organisation is doing it really well, let's take our learnings from them. We need to work really collaboratively in our sector, and we're doing that. What's the reception like from other charities? Yeah, no, we do work in collaboration. We refer to each other all the time. There are interagency groups that meet regularly about the core issues. In fact, later this month, we're meeting with Mission Australia. We're going to talk about, well, where do we have similarities? What are some projects we could potentially work on together? So that's exciting, and there'll be other endeavours like that as well, because we work together, we can be more impactful. 
you are someone that oozes a lot of confidence and pride in saying that you work for Vinnie's. Does that empower you every day? Because every day you're on the front line almost begging for support and asking people to be more sympathetic or more empathetic. And during COVID, we saw people, you know, particularly during international crises, people do suffer a degree of empathy fatigue, don't they? How do you combat that every day? And how do you find the strength within to tackle it? Look, it's a real privilege for me to work for Vinnie's and to be the CEO of Vinnie's. I'm surrounded by wonderful people, you know, our frontline staff who work with people experiencing poverty and homelessness every day, who hear the stories every day. I don't necessarily hear those stories every day. That takes a lot of resilience as well to have that empathy for people and to take that on board yourself. I've got wonderful executive team, wonderful people around me who are smart, who are dedicated, who are committed to the cause, who want to make a difference. And so that is energising for me. And of course, it's energising to do a job every day that in the end, you know, the things we've done today in this office, in this meeting, in this uh, corporate fundraiser are going to make a difference to someone in community who, who needs help. And so, of course, that's energising for me. Look, I, you know, I'm a first generation Australian. I grew up in a migrant household. My parents migrated to Australia in 1961. And they had to do jobs that nobody else wanted to do. They had to do all those hard things and they sacrificed a lot. So for me, that sense of community has always been really important because I see how important that was in my parents' life. I think we need to surround ourselves with empathetic people, people who care about others. We'd be in a much better place if more people took some time to think about others. But look, it's energising to me and it's, it's a, it's really is rewarding and it's a privilege to be able to wake up every day and do a job that ultimately helps people. You've been with Vinnie's for more than a decade. How much longer do you see yourself staying there? That's a great question. So I've been in my current role for just on 12 months. There's a lot to do, and I see myself with Vinnie's for some time because I think the new strategy is really exciting. If we can get some of those things right in the strategy, we'll be a much more impactful organisation as well. And so I want to lead the organisation to be more places, doing better work, reaching more people, and build our shop network. There's a lots, lots of things that are exciting that I'm really energised by. So I don't know, I don't see myself away from Vinnie's. It's been such a big part of my professional career that I don't take much time thinking about what it would be without having Vinnie's. Look, even the day that I'm not with Vinnie's, that'll be a huge part of who I am and what I, what I continue to support. For those that are thinking about volunteering or a career in the charitable sector, what would you say to them? I'd say do it. You know, they say... When you give to someone, you know, the reward is for yourself. And I think it's true. When you're doing something that is helping others, it's just rewarding. And if you're volunteering, probably even more so, because you're giving that time because you want to. And as far as working for an organisation like Binnie's, I would encourage young people to really think about the NFP sector as, as a really great career because you have all the commercial challenges, all the thinking, the strategising, all of the things you'd imagine in any organisation but you also have an ability to help people every day and to be part of solving social issues that, quite frankly, a country like Australia just shouldn't have. So you're part of something bigger, I think, and I think that's a wonderful thing to be able to do with your life, your career. And for me, it's a you know, wonderful thing to be able to show my children that you can do a job that makes a difference for other people and still have a rewarding career. Well, one of the reasons we wanted to get you in here at Short Black was to celebrate all the work that you do and to celebrate you and say thank you on behalf of the community and our listeners. 
I meet so many people who at my age are thinking about going part-time, semi-retiring, they're looking at a bit of volunteer work, but they don't want to be sucked into a system where they kind of lose control. What do you say to people who want to volunteer but want to do it in a stepped fashion? Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. If you're volunteering in our shops, you set your agenda and you tell us, I'm, you know, I want to do two days a month or I want to be here three times a week. I mean, it's really up to the individual how much time they want to give. So that's very much in their control. On membership, there's many, many different types of conferences you can join. And again, it's the same thing. It's about how much time you're able to give and what you'd like to be doing. And perhaps what your expertise is as well. Exactly. And then there's skilled volunteering, which we haven't touched on. So if you've had this great career and you've got a certain set of skills you'd like to offer the organisation, often we have skilled volunteers helping out on projects or giving us their expertise. And that's helpful for us. So there's many ways you can join an organisation like Binnie's. It's very rewarding. And I think people get a lot more out of it than they give, to be honest. Well, I have to say, Yolanda, you're a, a superstar in my eyes and we just want to say thank you for everything that you do and let us know here at Short Black if there's any other way that we can help. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks, Sandra. And I just want to thank all of our volunteers, all of our members and all of the wonderful staff who really, and I'll say this quite sincerely, are the ones who do that work every day. And for me, you know, providing the, the leadership, the guidance, the support for them to do that is wonderful. But they're really the ones out there with skin in the game. And so I just want to acknowledge them. Hear, hear. You have been listening to Short Black, a Network 10 podcast. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening.